chapter 7, and I want to preach a message this morning um, on preparing ourselves for communion and why we take communion and, and what the right attitude to have for communion is. And as you're getting there to Matthew chapter 7, I want to just share again how um, good it is to have, I believe it's Jody, right? Is that, is that right? Did I say that right? Jo- J- Judy? Jody? Joni? With an N? Oh, I said it right. Jody. Okay. You looked at me like it wasn't, so I wasn't sure. So good to have you back and a couple more of your kids there. And uh, so uh, Wednesday night she came in with her daughter and something miraculous happened. This is, this is what signs and wonders are and praying and fasting does. She was driving down the road on the freeway going 70 miles an hour and a Jesus card stuck to her windshield from our church right in front of her as she's driving down the road. And she saw that Jesus, and how many know, I was talking to our, our other pastor over in Carrollton about that, and he said, he said, that's a sign you better not ignore. <laughs> Amen? So Jesus stuck to the windshield, and she rolled her window down and grabbed it and pulled it inside, and it was our church services, and she came Wednesday night, and now she's back Sunday morning with her family. We just want to make sure you feel welcome, amen, and loved. That's a miracle. That is a miracle. That just does not happen by chance. So God, God, my dad said, uh, I'm going to start throwing Jesus cards out the window. <laughs> so you better not do that. They cost money. That was a supernatural thing, all right? Amen. Matthew chapter 7. I want to talk about um, being on a slippery slope or solid ground this morning. And this is a, a parable in the Bible that many of you have heard. And this is kind of a picture of the Lord warning us. You know, you see that, uh, that Jesus thing was a perfect example. A lot of times God is speaking to us very clearly, and how many know sometimes we listen and sometimes we don't? God speaks to us clearly, and I'm going to get into some of that stuff. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but how many are thankful when you see a sign ahead of you that says wet, caution wet, or curve ahead, or, or anything that warns you of what's coming, and then, and then if we're smart, you heed to that stuff. You don't see slippery slope, and if you're in your right mind and smart and wise, you don't run towards the slippery slope, right? You run away from it. And one of the reasons that we take communion is communion is a constant reminder to us of what Jesus did and what Jesus saved us from. Did you get that? It's not just what Jesus did, but what he saved us from. I have, I have really believed this with all my heart, and I haven't said it for at least a week or two. I, I would love to see the revival that would happen in the world if we could have a glimpse of what hell looked like. Amen? If we could see what Jesus saved us from and what the blood of Jesus did for us and, and, what, and, and not just when we think of hell and some of you are going, oh boy, I came in on a crazy Sunday morning. So he's going to talk about hell. But just so you know, we talk about everything that's in the Bible in this church. Amen? We're not afraid to touch any subjects. But when you think about hell, it's not just fire and and all gnashing of teeth and all the things that Jesus explained. The worst part is the separation from God. To be separate. You know, how many felt the presence of the Lord as we were worshiping right there? When we sang that song, powerful song, when I see that cross, I see freedom. And you begin to think about what Jesus did for us and that my chains are gone. If you weren't smiling in your spirit, at least inside during that song, you need to check your pulse. Something's wrong with you if you didn't feel the presence of God on that. Now, we don't just go by feelings, but his presence is here. Can you imagine not feeling that? 
Can you imagine being separated from that for eternity? That's what hell is, is separation. So this morning we have the opportunity to be reminded of what Jesus did for us on that cross. That's why we take communion and that Jesus is coming again. Can somebody say amen? Does anybody believe that Jesus is coming back again? I believe he's coming back again, amen? And we have to preach that. We have to believe that. We have to stand on that and remind ourselves of that. And so Jesus knew the things we're going to go through in our lives, and we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. And maybe you were raised in church or went to some church when you were younger. Uh, maybe someone invited you, a grandma took you, if a neighbor took you, and you heard the song about what we're going to read right here. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... And say this with me, does them. I mean, no, it's important not to hear, but to do. He says, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. It's kind of perfect, perfect message for this morning. And beat on that house. And what happened? It did not fall. Why? Because it was founded on the rock. So how many remember that story? The wise man built his house upon the rock. Remember that? Some of you, maybe, maybe. That's, that's why we need to sing those still for our kids back there. Because when you get older, Proverbs 22, 6, 22, 6 says, When you train up a child in the way he should go, when he's older he will not depart from it. Amen. So those songs kind of come back to us and, they, and they're important. But, verse 26 says, But everyone who hears these sayings of mine, or in other words, looks at a slippery slope, caution sign, and doesn't pay attention, and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. That rain came, it descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it what? And watch this. Great was its fall. Father, for the next few minutes, I ask you to anoint all of our ears, our spirits, our hearts, to listen to your word. I thank you for every man, woman, teenager, child that's in this church this morning that came to hear your word Maybe they didn't even know you had a word for them this morning. But, Lord, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for letting this word come alive to us and being real to us. And we come against every spirit of darkness that wants to hinder the word of God from being preached and lived and fulfilled in our lives. And we take authority over this service right now. And we ask you to speak powerfully in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. I want to preach about this slippery slope or solid ground. And I'm going to do something different than earlier. I want to do, do something backwards. I'm going to go over four things, four areas, four judgments, so to speak, in our lives that God does. Now, when I say the word judgment, some of you are like, eh, judgment, hell, man, this is, not, this is getting worse. The judgment of God is important because I want to start this, this service going backwards in the sense of I ended in the first service with number four, I'm going to start with it on this service. It's kind of the advantage of being able to preach the message twice. So I want you to look at Revelation chapter 20. And this will make sense for anybody of our workers that might have heard this in the first service. Revelation chapter 20. Shout at me when you get there. Let me know I'm there. you're there so I can read it. Revelation chapter 20. So we're going to go over four different things here that are going to help us. Be ready to take communion and help us understand why we take communion. And we're going to start in chapter 20, verse 12, or 11, sorry. Right before we read this, there's two judgments 
that are coming. Now, you, you can kind of out of sight, out of mind the things of God if you want, but the, these judgments are coming. Every single person who's ever walked the face of the earth and even those who have, have, have uh, died at young ages or anything, every soul that's ever lived from Genesis to today is going to stand before God. Every single person. There's not one person that gets an exempt form on this. We'll all stand before God. Every single one of us. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Amen? Now, I wasn't talking about you. Amen. Everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody. And so, if that's the case, then this is a very important message to listen to and a, and a very th big thing to think about because I might be on a path this morning that's going towards a slippery slope. And, and I want you to understand that why I'm saying this this morning is because I've been preaching for 25 years and I've seen a lot of people go down the slippery slope. And I've seen a lot of people not heed to the warning signs, sometimes maybe even coming in just like this on a Sunday. God's working on you. God's speaking. God's dealing with you, as we're going to get into in a minute. And, and as he's working with you, sometimes we get busy. We don't listen. We're carnal. We're prideful. All these things get in the way. And Dwayne mentioned it at prayer. Eternity is what matters. We do a lot of stuff on this earth to prepare ourselves for our retirement. Okay? Or for our future on this earth. But we don't know what tomorrow brings. There might not be a retirement for some of us in here. There might not be a tomorrow for some of us in here. And we never know what tomorrow holds. But we do know this. There's an eternity waiting for every single one of us. Believe that or not. It's, it's that. It's, it, you, you just can't get out of that. You cannot get away from it. So God says there's two judgments. And I want to show you what they are. And the reason I'm doing this first is because I want that to be on your mind as we look at the other ones. Because it, it makes us realize God takes his son serious. He takes what he did serious. So Revelation 20 verse 11 says this, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, who, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. That's Revelation 20 verse 11. That's a sad statement, by the way. This is talking about people who are going to stand before God in judgment, not without, with, sorry, without salvation. And it's sadding to, sad to me to see that there was found no place for them. Now, that doesn't mean that God wanted it that way. It means that people rejected the Lord. Okay, this is a futuristic verse. This is the God of yesterday speaking to the God of tomorrow. How many know God said, the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever? So there's a, what this means is there's a lot of people who are in this judgment. A lot. Now say this with me. I'm not going to be there. Amen. I don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. Okay? Next verse. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. God keeps good books. Okay? That, that, that's just across the board. Even in the sense of if you feel like you've been doing the right thing and you've been living for the Lord and you feel like things aren't working out right, don't worry, it will. Right's going to come out right. Wrong will always come out wrong. God cannot be mocked. God cannot lie. 
So we have to live our lives individually in a way that is pleasing to God. That's why the Bible says to be pleasers of God, not pleasers of men. So we're, so, we're trying to say, God, I want to I know that you're, you're writing things down, and what you write down about me, I want to be good. Verse 13, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were, say that with me, judged. Each one according to his works. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Who's going to be at this judgment? Here's the answer. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the fire. So one judgment is eternal damnation. You might have heard that word before. It's not something that's just to scare people. We need to understand that's not a scare tactic. It's a fact. We, we, we are not God. God made his word. God made his plan. Have you ever ran into somebody who says, I just don't like the way God does things? Has, have you ever met somebody like that? I don't think God cares if you think you don't, you don't like the way he does things. He's God. Whenever I begin to start thinking that I can argue with God, I, rem I remember the book of Job. And at one point, God gets a little frustrated with Joby. Listen, little Joby. I mean, I, I could just see him saying that, right? That's adding like a parent adds on the middle name to a child. Amen? Listen, Joby, where were you at when I flung the stars in the sky? Where were you at when I made the border for the water to stop? And God gets a little sarcastic with Joby and says, basically, be quiet. I'm God, and you're a little peon. I love you, and you're unique, like I said last week, and you're special, but you're just a little person. I'm a big God. And however I want to do things is how I want to do things. You can go to hell over a mystery. You can spend the rest of your life trying to figure out why God did things. But here's the plan. Here's the plan. God made a plan, and we got to stick to it. Okay? How many are with me? So I want to make sure my name is in that book. And the Bible tells me that anybody whose name's not in that book, when they stand before God, are going to be cast out into a lake of fire, God's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, doer of iniquity. And that's going to be it. Eternity separated from God. Everybody's going to stand before God. And that's one of the two places that you'll go, one of the two things that will happen. Now, that said and that out the way, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and let's talk about where we're going to go and what's going to happen to us. And I say that by faith, that every single person in here would be wise enough to make Jesus the Lord of their lives. Wise enough to trust God's word. This word has been around a long time, and it hasn't changed. Man's tried to change it, but God has kept it the same. Now, the other judgment is what's called the judgment seat of Christ. So you have the great white throne judgment over here, and you have the judgment seat of Christ over here. Who is not going to be in either one of those judgments? Nobody. Everybody's going to be in one or the other. You know, the Bible is very, there is no gray areas in the Bible. Unless, I don't know how long you've been reading the Bible, how long you've been saved. God doesn't have gray areas. You're left or you're right. You're in or you're out. That's how, that's how it is with God. And so you're either his child or you're his, just, just his creation. Did y'all get that? Everybody's God's creation, but not everybody's God's child. We become God's children when we allow him to adopt us through his son. 
And then when we do that, the Bible says that he forgives us of our sins and then he allows us to be part of his kingdom because he's a good God and a loving God that came down and paid a price for us so we could have eternity. And if we put our faith in him and what he did on the cross, and that's what communion reminds us of, is that he gave his body, he shed his blood, he, he sacrificed his life, he came down to live a perfect life, then he gave himself for, for us to be saved. He says, if you'll put your faith in that and believe in what I've done on the cross and that I rose from the dead, I will write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. So that when you stand before God, you stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, here's the key to the judgment you want to be at. You want to be at the one where Christ is at. I like right there by your side as an advocate and as a lawyer. Okay? Here's what 2 Corinthians 5.10 says. For we must, some of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Who's going to be there? All. But all is, in this case, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Let me clarify that for you because that's always confused people over the years. It's not a bad in the sense of sin because we're not going to be being judged for our sins. Okay, Our sins are going to be washed out by the blood of Jesus. Uh, There's no condemnation for us. So that good or bad is going to be the things good or bad we did for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Uh, Example, when the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, tell this person about me, and you don't tell them. It's not going to be a salvation issue that's going to send you to hell. It's going to be a reward issue that's going to make you miss out on a gym. Okay? Does that make sense? So when we're judged on the judgment seat of Christ, it is for our works in that same chapter without going into it for time. The Bible tells us that our works are going to go through, on, picture a conveyor belt going through the subway oven. It's when they put the bread through, okay, or Quiznos or whatever, uh, firehouse subs, wherever they put that thing, that's it, firehouse. They put the bread through and it toasts it, right? Our works are going to go through the conveyor oven. And whatever comes out on the other side is going to be what we get to keep and what we get to be rewarded by. The Bible says that anything we've done that's wood, hay, and stubble is just going to go through there and burn. Anything we've done that's gold, silver, and precious stones is the good stuff, and that's going to come out on the other side, bing, and we're going to get a reward. Did y'all picture that? I don't want to come, I don't want that thing to come out on the other side and God give me a 25-cent thing from the bubblegum machine. Amen? I want, a, I want a crown. The Bible says we're working for a crown. This reminds us of that. All these things about communion, all these things I'm talking about is a constant reminder. Why am I living the way I'm living? Why am I making the choices I'm making? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Because there's something waiting for me, and it's called judgment. Okay, now I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, you know, upset you this morning, but that's the case. Now, those two things said, those two judgments said, I want to give you three things quickly this morning, three areas of our lives that we need to judge on. How many have ever heard the saying, don't judge me? Maybe you've said it. That's a very popular thing to say, don't judge me. So number one is, I want you to write this down, self-examination. The best person you can judge 
is yourself. We need to look more into the mirror. Amen? We need to look more into the mirror and look at ourselves and check ourselves because that's what the Bible says in Luke 6.37. He says, don't judge not lest you judge, lest you be judged, condemn not lest you be condemned. And so some people are like, see, don't judge me. But that's not what God's trying to teach us. In Matthew 7, he says, how can you, with a big old plank in your eye, try to take out the speck of dust in someone else's eye? You, do you notice, when you start to look at the Bible the right way, you notice that God is saying, go ahead and get the speck out of somebody else's eye if you want. But what about the plank in your eye? You know what he's doing? He's putting the focus on you. He's saying your problem is worse than that person's problem. Right? We become self-righteous a lot of times. One of the things I'm always trying to teach you in this church, we have a lot of people from some really rough backgrounds. I mean, across the gamut this morning, we've got people from all kinds of walks, all kinds of testimonies, all kinds of miracles, really rough backgrounds, really crazy backgrounds. But I'm always trying to remind you that once you come in here and get saved and begin to get discipled and begin to learn, don't forget who you were and where you came from because then you become self-righteous. Then you begin to start thinking you're better than them and you forget where you were when Jesus found you. We have to keep that humility in us. That, that's why when we sing that song, I, 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 I'm over there crying, teared up, crying, thinking, man, you took my chains off. You took, I don't deserve this. When I see that cross, I see freedom. I remember that I was chained up. And that's why I said at the beginning of the message, it's a powerful thing to remember or to realize what God saved me from. How would we live our lives if we could have a glimpse of a moment of what that separation would be like? We would live so different, I think, so many times. But we don't have to have that glimpse. We can listen to his word and obey it. So we don't need to judge others. We need to judge ourselves. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one and 32 says, If we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are corrected by the Lord. That we should not be condemned with the world. The first thing I read you in Revelation 20 is God's condemnation of the world. His eternal judgment of the world because the world has rejected him. But God says through his word, if you will self-examine yourself and you'll let me work through you, then if I correct you, then you will not be condemned with the world. How many would rather be corrected by God than condemned with the world? Now, any of us that have grown up, we know that we, we didn't like being corrected when we were kids. We don't like being corrected as adults. But part of life. Right? If you turned out to be somebody that has some respect in you, somebody that's, that's, that listens and loves correction, you probably got some good correction growing up. And I'm not talking about a beating, but... Your parents corrected you in the right way, and you, you got an authority, a respective authority in your life. You have to be able to say, God, correct me. Correct me and teach me. Show me how I can be better, how I can live for you better. How many want that kind of spirit this morning, a corrective spirit? 
I've mentioned this before. We've got a lot of people visiting, maybe never or new to the church here since maybe I've said this. My pastor used to tell me all the time, the reason you're a good disciple is because you played sports. So I understood playing sports that if I wanted to be on that team, see, there's a big difference. You know this today, there's NFL games all over the United States, and there's a lot of really good players on those teams, and there's a lot of high-played players, more, probably more than they deserve. Um, can I get an amen there? I'm sure I can get an amen there. Bunch of babies, they get paid a lot of money and they cry. Um, they, w- there's a lot of people that are not playing in those games today that are better than them. The best players, I'm not saying some of the best aren't there, but the best players there or the NBA or Major League Baseball are not on the court or on the field. They're in some neighborhood or some prison or some grave. Because they had talent, but they decided I'd rather play pickup basketball than play for a team because I'm not going to let nobody coach me. So it's the people who are coachable, who are trainable and correctable that are going to make it with God. And so it'll be the same thing. Those people that are imprisoned in the grave and, and maybe in, in poverty this morning or, in, or in, in problems and situations where they could be playing a game is going to be just like people who instead of being with God in heaven are going to be in hell because they didn't want to be corrected. We have to say, God, make me a correctable person. You know what's even better than that? Search it out. This says examine yourself. That means that you go to God and you say, you don't have to always wait until he comes and spanks you spiritually. I don't know about you, but I like to learn from other people's mistakes before they make the mistake, before I make the mistake myself. Does anybody else like that? Doesn't mean I always get it right, but man, if I see somebody else fall in a hole, I'm going a different direction. I'm not going to lie, I can step over that. So I want to learn from other people's mistakes. So God says, if you'll, if you'll examine yourself, I won't have to correct you. So, is anybody getting this? I won't have to correct you if you'll examine yourself. Now, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And look at what verse 5 says. Actually, let's go to um, verse 6, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6 says, but I trust that you should know that we are not reprobates. Reprobate means your mind being in a place where you are no longer able to listen or hear the correction of God. You don't ever want to get to that place. You might say, how many have ever thought about um, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, for example? You've heard that and it says it's the unpardonable sin. I don't know how many times over the years in ministry I've had people come to me and ask me, Pastor, do you th- I think I did this, and do you th- I think I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Do you think I did? You know what my answer is? No, because you're concerned about it. Just the fact that you're concerned about it shows that you have not blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a one-time thing you say. It is a, it is a continually not, uh, re- a continual rejection of the Holy Spirit to a place that you become in that. Does that make sense? Not just... You just say something that God won't forgive. It's an attitude where you allow yourself to get to a reprobate mind, which is in Romans. How many have ever seen somebody do something, a murder, a rape, or some, heard something and gone, how in the world could they do that? How could a person do that? You ever said that? How could a person do that? It's called a reprobate mind. It means that God dealt with them, even unsaved. 
He dealt with them because we all have a God conscience. God deals with the sinner and the, un, and, and the, uh, the sinner and the saved, the believer and the unbeliever, because he's always drawing us to salvation. And so he's dealing with those people, and they constantly reject and reject and reject till they get to a place where their mind, he says, I've given them over to a reprobate mind. Is everybody clear on that? For you consistently and constantly, that's one thing you don't want to be consistent in, is rejecting the correction of the Lord. So he says, I trust that you should know that we are not reprobates. Now, verse 7, I pray to God that you do no evil, not that you should appear approved, but that you should do what is honest. How many know there's way too many people trying to look like they serve in God? Trying to look righteous, trying to put a, a facade on. What did Jesus do the entire time he was on the earth? He rebuked the religious people. He says, you are such hypocrites. He says, you brood of vipers. I, would, I want to find out what the translation of that is for today. I, wanna, I, I need to do a study on that and figure out what, what we would say in our terms for brood of vipers. If anybody finds that, let me know. He says, you brood of vipers, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside's nasty. You're always appearing to do right, but your hearts aren't right. So he says, I'd rather you do what's right. That's what communion does. It reminds us. Then verse 8. For we can do nothing against the truth. Listen, the truth stands. The truth is not going to change no matter what our country or the world says. God's truth is the same. It's not going to change. For we are glad, verse 9, when we are weak and you are strong, and this also we wish, even your perfection. You know God's got a high standard this morning that none of us can reach, but he wants us to shoot for it. If we, if we shoot for the stars, we won't come up with a fistful of mud. Shoot for the stars. Shoot for perfection. Say, God, I'm trying my best. Ask yourself this week. Don't answer me. Don't raise your hand. Don't nod. Just ask yourself, have I tried this week to be as perfect as I can? Have I tried this week to appreciate God's love as much as I can? Have I tried this week to spend as much time as I can? That's the, that's the, the quest that God wants us to have. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want us to be satisfied with the relationship that we have. He wants us to have a better one. That's part of what praying and fasting does. For anybody that doesn't know, we're, we're on the last few days of a 21 days of praying and fasting as a, as a fellowship. And when you do that, when you consecrate yourself, some people are doing social media, some people are doing food, some people are doing all. It's all kinds of different things. People are fasting. I don't know who is and who's not. No one's signed up and said, I, I'm a contract. Everybody's doing what the Lord leads them. But when you're doing that, you're drawing closer to God. And you're, you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm really serious about this. I, I want to push these weights aside that are causing me to not, to not be in the place you want me to be. That's what he's talking about in self-examination. Any great player in, in the world, any great singer, any great actor in the world always is looking to get better. Always. The greats. I don't know about you, but I want to be great in God. I can't speak for you. I want to be great in God. I don't want to just be mediocre. I want to be one of God's favorites. Does anybody else want to be there? I want to be one of his favorites. I want him just to smile on me every day. I want him to be proud of me. I want him to say, that's my, that's my son in whom I'm well pleased like he did to Jesus. I want him to look down and, and, and I'm not afraid of it for him to say, hey, have you considered my servant Blake? 
I'm not asking for problems. I'm not asking for trouble. I don't want him to take my wife and family and take my health. I'm not asking for that. But I do want God to be proud of me. I want him to look down and say, that's my son. I want him to look down and say, that's my daughter. I'm proud of that person because they love me with all their hearts. Their heart is devoted to me. That's what an attitude of self-examination is. And so verse 5 says, examine yourselves. Back there, right before we started 6. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. That's the key to this message. Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. You know, a lot of times we try too hard to please other people. We, we, we've got to stop trying to please other people. We've got to please God. Sometimes when you're doing the right thing, it's not going to make people happy. You just stand alone and do what's right, not what's popular. Amen. Do what's right. So he says, examine yourselves, prove yourselves. Don't you know, know, do you not know yourselves? How many know we can know ourselves? We, can know, we know ourselves what our, what our pitfalls are. We know ourselves what our problems are. And he says how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. So he's saying, be that person that's examining themselves so that I don't have to deal with it. And if I do deal with it, accept it and, and receive it. And here's the key. Humble yourself. Humble yourself. Don't ever say, God, humble me. That's not a good prayer. You don't want God to humble you. I, 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 I've caught myself over the years, oh, you know, I'm trying to be in the right place. Go, God. No, God. <clears throat> Lord, I humble myself. You do not want God to humble you. You want to humble yourself so that he does not have to humble you. Okay, that's an important attitude. And admit that I need to change. Here's one more verse before we go on to two. Proverbs 28, 13. He that comes... Sorry, covers his sins shall not prosper. He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. Isn't that a powerful verse? He who confesses their sins shall not prosper or covers his sins, but whoever confesses them, watch, and forsakes them. That's the key. A lot of people confess their sins, but they don't forsake them. Jesus didn't say to the, to the adulterous woman, go and sin again. He said, go and sin no more. Now for time, write this down, number two. Remember I did the fourth one first. So that was judgments. The first one, self-examination. Number two is judgment of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to run through this in just a few minutes because I'm running out of time. Judgment of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to read this for time, but in Acts chapter 5, God gives a really scary example and also a very good example of how thankful we should be Pastor Andrew was talking about being thankful. We should be thankful we're in the days of grace. The Bible says in Acts 5, and I'm going to paraphrase it, not read for time, that Ananias and Sapphira sell the possession, sell some land, and they come in and they, and they tell Peter, we sold the land for this much. And basically, I clarified this earlier, the, the thing we got to understand is there, that land was theirs to sell, and he clarifies that in the story. But... Joe was saying this between services, a good example. They, had, they wanted to see their plaques up on the wall. And, you know, if you gave this much, you'd get a plaque on the wall. So they wanted to say they gave that much, but, but they didn't sell it for that much. So they were lying about the amount. They could have given whatever they want. Peter says it was in your possession, but they lied about the amount, basically gave more than they should have given, or said they gave more than they gave, sorry. 
And so Peter says, why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And he drops dead right there. Dead. Just drops dead. And they pick him up and carry him out and bury him. And then Sapphira comes in and they say, Sapphira, how much did you sell the, the place for? And she lied too. And she, she says, don't you know that they're the feet of the men who are burying your husband are walking to the door and boom, she dies. Say this with me. Thank God, Thank God. for his grace. Because people would be dropping dead all the time in church. Like we would just be doing funerals all the time. Right? Come on. Be honest. We'd be like, Pfft. we would just wait and do a mass funeral after every service. And it might be a different preacher too. You know, just people just dropping dead all the time. I mean, seriously. Thank God. You say, why did he do that? Why did he kill them for that? Because he was saying, I take sin serious. It's serious. And only by God's grace are we even able to stand today. Because he's a holy God. Amen. In, in, for example, Joseph, and I'll get to the last point. Joseph, in, in back in with Potiphar's wife, how many remember he did the right thing? He ran. You know why he ran? Because he knew that the Holy Spirit knew. He was more concerned about what God saw. He, he could have gotten away with that. He, he could have he covered it up. He was in charge. But he was not concerned about what Potiphar thought or what she thought or what anybody else thought. He was concerned about what God thought. That's the attitude God's looking for. So how many times have we uh, failed to listen to the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit's been dealing with us and he's been contending with us. He's been saying, don't do that. Don't say that. Don't go there. Don't think that. You know, the Holy Spirit's working on us. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Heed to the Holy Spirit. Obey the Holy Spirit, and He'll save you from a lot of problems. The last one is this. The reason we take communion, and we re we, we, we'll read it in a second, is that we're announcing His death till He comes. The last judgment in this message is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church. The harpasso in Greek. When Jesus takes the church out, and then tribulation starts on the world. That's going to be a judgment that is going to separate some people. And if you're taking notes, write down Matthew 25, because I'm not going to get into it this morning. But it's the parable of the ten virgins. It's the separation. And here's the interesting thing, church. All ten of those virgins were believers. All ten of those virgins had a lamp, and they were called virgins, so they were Christians. It's not that five were believers and five were unbelievers. The Bible tells us there that at one point in their lives, I'm paraphrasing the story, they lose their oil. They don't have any oil to trim their lamps. You know what that oil is symbolic of? The Holy Spirit dealing with them. And so they got to a point with Jesus coming back, the bridegroom coming back for them, they got to a point where they, they weren't dealing with sin anymore. And they left that alone. They, and they stopped allowing the Holy Spirit to contend with them. And then when Jesus came, they had no oil in their lamps. So the story is that that's going to be a great judgment. And listen, Peter talks about, man, you've been saying that for thousands of years. Everybody 
maybe today mocks that and thinks, man, they, every, here's another doomsday thing. Here, here, Jesus come back today. Jesus come back. Listen, you can mock it all you want. You can think it's not going to happen all you want. If you believe Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you believe he rose from the dead, you better believe he also said he's coming back. And the Bible shows two times he's coming back. He's coming back for his church where he will not touch the ground. And he's coming back again with us to touch the ground. That's good doctrine right there. Can I get a better amen on that? There's a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming. They're not the same event. It's a seven-year separation between the two. And the rapture, the Bible says the rapture will take. That's why we take communion. Not, that's not the only time, but this is, a, this is symbolic. Jesus said, I want you to take this communion every time you do in remembrance of me and announce this till I come again. You know, it's sad to think that there are some people who believe that Jesus died on the cross and believe he rose from the dead, but don't really believe he's coming back again. Why do you even believe the other two things then? If you don't believe at all. How many know the Bible is not a bag of trail mix? You don't pick out of there what you want. You, you've got to take it all. If Jesus said he died and he said he's going to rise again and he told his disciples, I'm coming back, he's coming back. And you know what? we got to be ready. Bow your heads this morning if you would. Close your eyes. Please. All over this place. Where will you spend eternity? Will you be ready when Jesus comes back? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work on you? We're going to take communion in just a moment. But before we do, I want you to check yourself. I want you to examine yourself. I want, I want you to look inward right now. I want you to think about your life. I want you to think about your soul. I want you to think about your walk. It's personal. Lord, am I in the place to stand before you? And if you do it in the physical and you do it in the carnal, no, you're not. What I mean by that is, Lord, do I have my faith totally in what you did on the cross? Totally in that shed blood on the cross for my sins. That's why Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short. The wage of sin is death this morning. That's just the way it is. Why does it have to be that way? Because God gave us free will. It's the greatest gift he ever gave us, the choice. You better be thankful today that you're not a robot, but you have a soul and you have thoughts and you have emotions and you have a choice to accept or reject Christ. If you're here this morning and you're listening to the Holy Spirit knock on the door of your heart right now, and you have never made Jesus Lord of your life, I'm not asking you if you've signed a membership card to church. I'm asking you, is Jesus Lord of your life? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he's the only way to heaven? Do you believe he's the way, the truth, and the life? If you don't believe that, or you've never said that to him, or said, Jesus, I believe that, and never accepted him, do it now. How many in this place could be honest with God, not with me, with God, and say, I've never done that. I, I need to do that this morning. Just lift your hand up and put it right back down all over this place. I'm not saved. I'm not ready. I don't know Jesus. If you're here and you know him, 
Don't be one of those five foolish virgins that ignores the work of the Holy Spirit. He's dealing with you. He's touching you. He's working on you right now. He's speaking to you right now. He's saying, listen, you, you, are, you love me and I know you do, but listen, child, he says, you're on a slippery slope. You're headed towards a place of danger. Turn back. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been dealing with you on something specific. Listen to him. Listen to him. Be a wise virgin. Be that, be that person that has their house built on the rock, not on the sand. Father, we thank you for touching our hearts this morning. Thank you for reminding us this morning why we're here and what we're doing. And Lord, the reason this church is here this morning is that we would be a soul-winning agency. That we would be a church that would go out of this place and speak life to others so others can have their names written in the book of life. So others can know you. Because God, we don't want that last chapter to be true in our case of Revelation where it says there were so many. Lord, let it be less this morning because of the work of this church and the compassion of our hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to begin to sing a song this morning and you can stay seated for a moment. And the ushers are going to come forward and we're going to begin to pass out communion.